Good morning. We are on John chapter 10 today. And as you're all furiously turning to John chapter 10, we're actually going to read something else first. And I, and I think it's important because the New Testament tends to fulfill Old Testament prophecy. And it tends to confirm the Old Testament. And it tends to align with the Old Testament. It is not contradictory. It's complementary. I think it's really important for us as we read New Testament writings to go back to the Old Testament to understand why and what was written. And, and often, as we'll find, Jesus in particular references, either through direct reference or through tongue-in-cheek, a lot of content from the Old Testament for a variety of reasons. And he's going to reference a few of those today. John chapter 10 is actually quite meaty. In the sense, there's, there's a lot of good gems in here. Um, and it's kind of true of a lot of writings of the New Testament. You, you can tend to, if you have a, a scripture reading plan, which is great, uh, especially if it's, you know, read the Bible in a year, you tend to read the Bible at the, the 30,000 foot level, right? You're trying to race through, and it's fine, it's good, I've done it, <clears throat> race through a large amount of content. You might miss some, some key details that you don't get unless you're at the six-foot level. And so I feel it's important that if you are doing something like you read of the Bible in a year and you're reading several chapters a day, to stop occasionally and just say, wait, what did I just read here? This might be important. This seems like it kind of stands out. What? What, is it? what are they talking about? If you are reading the Bible in a year and you read John chapter 10, you are likely to come across two or three very significant theological and historical passages that it's important to slow down and say, wait, this is important. So we're going to do that today. And in doing that, we're going to set the stage for that by some content referenced here from the Old Testament. So as I always do, I ask for volunteers. If you're willing to read, well, I already, look at, you're getting a gold star. Yay. <laughs> Extra credit for you. Very good. We did the dance Oh, I did that again. So cute. Let's go ahead and read Psalm 82. To start off with, Emma, please read that for me. God is in charge of the great meeting. He judges amongst the gods. He says, how long will you defend evil people? How long will you show greater kindness to the wicked? Defend the weak and the orphans. Defend the rights of the poor and the suffering. Save the weak and helpless. Free them from the power of the wicked. You know nothing. You don't understand. You walk in the dark while the world is falling apart. I said, you are gods. You are sons of the most high, sons of God most high but you will die like any other person. You will fall like all the leaders. God, come and judge the earth because you own all the nations. Oof. Record screech, jukebox stop. You just said something really crazy in there. What, what stands out to you from this passage? Nathan knows, he's smiling. What did we just read in there as God talking to human beings said something very profound. You are what? Gods. Gods. What? <clears throat> Let's start up here. You are gods. Elohim in Hebrew, meaning gods, rulers, lords. What does God mean by that? Right after that, he says, you are all sons of God most high. Ah, okay. <clears throat> so let's unpackage this real quick. Sons of God most high. I, I think of image bearers. Okay. So we're, what do you mean by that? Yeah, we're made, made in the image of God. And okay. If he's God, then, then I guess so are we. Okay. Yeah. It's kind of hard to say, even. <laughs> like, uh -huh. 
If he's God and we're in his image, then we're God's too. Okay. Big, right? It's yeah. like, what? But, like, it's funny because, you know, he says, you know nothing you don't <coughs> understand. He, like, he's, I mean, I don't think we can say, like, he's not saying, like, you are equal to me in any sort of sense. Uh, because before it, he says, you don't know anything you don't understand. Yep. And after it, he says, you'll die like any other person and you'll fall like all the other leaders. So he's not... So making us equal with him at all. There we go. There we go. So point being here, and who do you think the audience is who he's talking to here? It's kind of a specific audience. It's not really addressing every human being on earth. Who's he really talking to here? People of Israel. People in Israel. Believers. Yes. Believers. And what part of the social or <coughs> strata? Elders. Yes. He's Talking to judges or people that are judging. This is exactly it. Kind of remind them, hey, you think you're all that. You're going to die. Leaders, kings, judges, maybe priests. It's the people who are at the top. You have been put in charge by me, God Almighty, God Most High, to rule the earth, to lead. And, but guess what? What this is not saying is, you are an all-powerful God like me. You are not a God with infinite wisdom and infinite power. You're not all-knowing. And guess what? Someday you will what? You're going to die. You're going to die. This is awesome. Good morning. <laughs> we have so many, I'm just saying, we have so many gold stars in here. All the gold star people, they're going to have to kick it up a notch. I'm just saying. <laughs> the competition has just increased. <clears throat> this is really important to set the stage here. So the Old Testament, it is biblical. It is God's written word that he can address people as God-like because of the authority he has put them into. These are people in authority who are in charge. Okay. There's a, there's a sense of yep. we're, we have been bestowed with something. Oh, yes. Not that we are, but he, by his... This is important. I don't know. He claims us as. Yeah. That's all I got. I knight you as in charge of right. people of Israel, people of your community. Right, exactly. It's He's on us. To be good rulers and to you know, stand up for the poor and the right. oppressed. Mm -hmm. and, Act like me. I'm guessing in a good way because he's having to tell them this that they weren't doing it. <laughs> it's, it's. I mean, assumption that. I'm making. It's if you're already weird. doing it. Why do I have to rebuke or, you and tell you to do it? Or even that they were, but yet not to the level that you'd like to see. It's kind of one of those things. If you're a manager, one of the things they, they tell you. If you're a young new manager, the very first thing they tell you is in manager training. Which, if you're lucky, you got that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> one of the things they should have told you is every time you give performance feedback, always make it balanced. If all you do is tell them all the wrong things they did and not any of the right things, they're going to quit. And it's true because you can't tell me that people have done 100% everything wrong. You also can't tell them. 100% of all the right things they've done and not give them the things that they're challenged with. No human being is perfect. No human being is terrible, like 100%. Everyone has a balance of, of things they're good at and they're bad at, et cetera, et cetera.
give them, give them a balanced crap sandwich. <laughs> good, bad, good, right? This is exactly it. Um, God's like, look, yeah, some of you are doing a great job. You're all, you're, you're, some of you are star students. Um, you're not perfect, so don't think you are. Okay, that's great. Anything else? So with that in mind, let's go to the Gospel of John, chapter 10. And let's read verses 1 to 21. Who would like to read that for me? Jesus said, I tell you the truth, the person who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. The one who guards the door opens it for him, and the sheep listen to the voice of the shepherd. He calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. When he brings all his sheep out, he goes ahead of them, and they follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. They will run away from him because they don't know his voice. Jesus told the people the story, but they did not understand what it meant. So Jesus again said, I tell you the truth, I am the door for the sheep. All the people who came before me were thieves and robbers. The sheep did not listen to them. I am the door, and the person who enters through me will be saved and will be able to come in and go out and find pasture. A thief comes in to steal and kill and destroy, but I come to give life, life in all of its fullness. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives its life for the sheep. The worker who is paid to keep the sheep is different from the shepherd who owns them. When the worker sees a wolf coming, he runs away and leaves the sheep alone. Then the wolf attacks the sheep and scatters them. The man runs away because he is only a paid worker and does not really care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep as the Father knows me, and my sheep know me as I know the Father. I give my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not in this flock, and I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. The Father loves me because I give my life so that I can take it back again. No one takes it from me. I give my own life freely. I have the right to give my life, and I have the right to take it back. This is what my Father commanded me to do. Again, the leaders did not agree with each other because of these words of Jesus. Many of them said, A demon has come to him and made him crazy. Why listen to him? But others said, A man who is crazy with a demon does not say things like this. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Whoa. Remember what I was telling you about gems? We have a whole sack full here. We have a treasure chest here. I want to hit that last part, that very last thing. What is that last phrase there? <clears throat> can a demon, demon open the eyes of the blind? Who can make a blind man see according to the Bible? Well, let's read about it. Psalm 146, verse 8. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. Who opens the eyes of the blind? And who else? No one. No one. God and God alone has been endowed with the power to cure blindness. And in this case, as Jesus always does, there's two meanings here. The physical eyes of the blind, but more importantly, what is, what is Jesus saying here? What is the Old Testament saying? What kind of blindness are we talking about? Spiritual. Spiritual blindness. What is spiritual blindness, Heather? Um, well, not knowing God. Okay. Not knowing that, uh, you know, Jesus is the way, the way, truth, and the life. Not knowing God. Not knowing his truth. Being blind to it. 
Now, we get back here. Let's go ahead. Tell me what you, you think of this passage. What jumps out to you here? Look from our, we, the ladies' Bible study. We did the seven I am statements in the book of John, and okay. two of them are in just this passage right here. Oh, so who gets the gold star now? Uh, you know, it's because <laughs> Angela. Yes. Laura does. Um, but yeah, so I am the sheep gate, yep. and okay. I am the good shepherd. Oh my gosh. Here so we go. So those are two I am statements that he makes about himself. Yeah. Yeah. So. Then what does that mean to you? Well, I never really thought much about, like, I had always, you know, you hear about I am the good shepherd. I don't think you really hear about I am the sheep gate that yeah. often. <laughs> And I thought the sheep, so if I, I thought it was very interesting that I am the sheep gate because just I didn't realize that their ship, you know, their sheep pens were like circles and yes. they were made of stone, okay. but they didn't have a door. Okay. The shepherd was the door. He would lay in front of the opening mm. and then. This is not a cloud. Know, mm -hmm. But the, it wasn't just to protect the sheep, <laughs> or it was also, you know, <coughs> he was keeping them from. Not he was not only just keeping them from getting out, but he was also keeping you know predators mm -hmm. from getting in. So it's kind of a twofold thing of them laying across the. Okay. You know. <laughs> so, sheep pen, sheep field with some boundaries. Sheep, sheep gate. Who is this? Shepherd. The shepherd. There was another reference to a to a role in here. There's a hired hand. Okay, so here's here's a guy with some money, right? You know, I'm a hired hand. I don't know. That's dollars. Make it rain. There's a third then. Thief. There's a fourth then. Here's here's a thief with a mask. Right. Stranger. A wolf. A wolf. No. There's a there's a fourth. There's a stranger. The fifth. There's a, there's, a, there's a reference to, maybe it's a different translation here. Verse 3. The one who guards the door opens it for him. Yeah, it's the watchman. So I'm making an esoteric thing here. This is probably, this is probably terrible. Mine says gatekeeper. Gatekeeper. So in some ways they're the same. In some ways they're different. So this is, this is a bit of a side tangent. In the Old Testament... The, the, the role of, um, again, watchmen has a very specific connotation. Watchmen in the Old Testament were a very important role known as who? And the people who wrote a lot of the Old Testament were called what? Especially those who predicted the future oracles. Prophets. Prophets. <clears throat> so there is this role of watchmen. Prophets. Now... Whether he means to do it or he doesn't, Jesus both separates that role and equates himself with it. He is a prophet. Jesus is a prophet. He is also the Messiah, the Son of God. No prophet from the Old Testament was the Son of God. We do have a lot of roles here. But ultimately, and by crook, you know, shepherd's crook here, who is guarding the sheep? The shepherd. The shepherd. The shepherd is in charge. Why is he different from the hired hand? Because he owns the sheep and he loves them. Yeah, the sheep means something to him. Yes. It's just a means to yes. uh, living. 
there are a lot of parallels with our modern day megachurch here. Now, I again do not, I, I'm not an enemy of the megachurch. I think they serve a purpose. Um, <clears throat> like in all cases, there can be both good and downsides to them. One of them is, why are you making a megachurch? Wh whose glory are you trying to achieve by building a megachurch around yourself? <clears throat> the people who are doing it to get something out of it are going to quickly find that it may not be as satisfying as they want it to be. This is true of any human endeavor. <clears throat> the people who love their sheep and care about their sheep, you can equate this now, this role that Jesus is saying to us, pastors, elders, deacons, what have you, leaders in the church. Are you in it for your glory? Or are you in it for God's glory? Because you love the people. Maybe you won't get any glory out of it. And this is the, this is the issue. When times get tough, and they always will, in any church, in any organization, what tends to happen to some of the people who are a part of that, whether it is because of a real problem in the church or imagined? Sometimes people do what? Say it again. They leave. They bail. I'm out of here. I'm not getting what I want. I'm not getting fed. There's a long list of things. I'm not getting what I want out of this. Now that, I would say... We need a bib. I don't know. <laughs> what 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 does this speak to you? What does this say to you? We're in it for the wrong reason. I guess I'm not sure what your question is, but yep. it, it's like you're selfish. You're uh, you're just in it for only yourself and what you can get out of it versus helping others. Okay. Yep. Well, the big difference between the, the megachurch and the smaller congregation, you can hide in a megachurch. Mm -hmm. You don't really have to do anything. As long as I throw a few bucks at it, mm -hmm. I don't even have to throw a few bucks at it because I'm anonymous. Slip in, slip out. And then, right. oh, by the way, if this person isn't doing something that I like or dislike, we can just vote them out or right. tell them to go someplace else. And then somebody who's looking to make a buck, they can say, well... If I go to this congregation, I'll make 40000 a year. If I go over to this one, I'll, I'll be able to drive a new vehicle every year and, and be good. And mm -hmm. obviously, God wants me to do that. The third jet, you start questioning the things, but so the first <coughs> thing, okay. Well, if there's a that's pandemic, awesome. the third jet can be used to help bring in supplies. Oh, that's true. Yeah. 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 So you always that's how we justify it. <laughs> and look, I'm picking on mega churches. It could be any church. It doesn't have to be that. The question is, who are you in it for? Are you in it for yourself? Or are you in it for the people who you're serving? Who do you think Jesus was pointing this very direct flashlight at here? Pharisees. Yes. Well, in and who are the, who is that? Who are the Pharisees of the day, Rodney? What does that mean? Well, Those they're the so-called leaders of the church, the influential. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I had a <an> moment. <laughs> oh. I was like, oh, that's. That's what, you, that's what the See Psalm what 82 there. refers to. See, my, my esoteric <laughs> tangents do have, <laughs> they come back. God's intentions never change. Okay. Where, I mean, I look back on my life, and I can, I can start into ministry with, yep. the, with a good heart about it and say it's because I love mm -hmm. people that I want to serve in this manner. But it's real easy to slip over into the, you know, the, WIFM radio, what's in it for me? Right. How do I, how can I get right. glory from this? How can I puff my chest out and say, check me out and look how cool I am? And that's been 
really easy through my life mm -hmm. to just go there. You know, just, yep. I mean, and then it's, you know, I find myself in that position going, how did I get here? Mm -hmm. You know? It's human nature, right? We all, we all are prone to it. And look, you know, it's, it's not black and white. Um, I, in, in talking to others about the role of being an elder, um, the subject has come up, you know, why did I do it? Um, it's not for the glory, I can tell you that. Uh, it's certainly not for all the money I'm making through doing it. And it's really, in some ways, not because of the effectiveness that I'm having. In some ways, um, as I told people, it will feel some days like I am not making any difference whatsoever. Now, I think this is how God winnows out the wheat from the chaff, to be quite honest with you. And this doesn't just happen at the role of elder or pastor or deacon. It happens at the level of any church uh, attendee. It's at some point you'll be confronted with either you're getting glory out of this for yourself or you're not. And those who are only in it for themselves will quickly find that it's not a glory-making enterprise <laughs> serving Jesus. It really, you don't get a lot out of it in some ways. In some ways you get a lot, you get everything out of it. But in, in earthly terms, it may not be the path to, you know, being a billionaire, right? So for those people who are in it for themselves, you have a winnowing process here. It, it happens occasionally, and churches go through this every few years. They go through kind of these ups and downs. A great, a great surge, and, and, and church attendance grows, and everyone's happy, and everything is working great, and then suddenly we realize that a lot of us, even myself included, are maybe focused on the wrong things. Things suddenly happen, and it turns south, and, and some people leave the church. Attendance may fall, and you kind of go through this cycle. But what is Jesus saying? In the end, in the end, what is the good thing about what Jesus is saying about himself here? He doesn't leave. Steadfast. He's never going to leave. He's never going to leave. And who is he never going to leave? And who are the sheep? For better or worse. <clears throat> and I think, like, yeah. in our study, we were talking about, like, they t we were talking about how, you know, we think of agriculture in modern terms and, like, the way that they were with their sheep. It's not like we are today. Like, the shepherd knew every single one of his sheep and they yeah. knew his voice. Like there was a personal relationship with the sheep and like we don't maybe get that today or like appreciate that because we just think of like farms with like all this livestock and you know, you don't really know each individual, you know. Unless you're a dairy farmer, like a smaller dairy right. farmer, they name all their cows and right. they're around for you know, 10 years or more. Yes. Right. But so, like, he's also telling, like, he's the shepherd. Like, he knows us personally. Yeah. We should know his voice when he's speaking to us. And, and you'll know theirs. It's a very close relationship. Look, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not a livestock farmer. I know some of us in the room may have, may have been something like that growing up. I mean, I, I can see where you can get to the point where you can recognize their voice. Maybe you can, rec you know, by sight, maybe. I don't know. They all look the same to me, but maybe different <laughs> sheep look different to people. I don't know. Um, they know his voice and he knows theirs. What does that imply to you? A relationship. Yes. Yeah, it's a relationship. It's not weird. It's, it's, he loves them. He knows them. A person who's in it for the money and everything that they can get, this applies to your corporate job too or whatever job. If you're in it because you just want to make as much money as you possibly can, this is kind of, we were talking about this, the Netflix culture, right? Um, the Amazon culture. For better or worse, their, their business model is, we want the best and brightest, we will pay them well, but the minute they screw up, they're out. You're constantly being evaluated. You're constantly having these 
performance reviews. And as long as you're all in and you're doing everything you can to make the company money, and we will, we as the company will work you to death, as long as you're doing that, everything is great. What does that engender? What is what kind of attitude does that engender amongst the people in the organization? Backstabbing. Expendable. Backstabbing. Backstabbing. No loyalty. Absolutely no loyalty. It's every man and woman for themselves. That's any business too. I mean, that's small yeah. business. That's yep. you know, I'm making you all this money, hmm. and here am I making peanuts, <clears throat> working to to the bone. So how different is this model from all of that, from human nature? And, and if you're right, Ken, and I think you are, to some degree, every, every human <coughs> nature is, it's every, every person for himself or herself. How is this model different than that? Or is it? No, it is different because the, the shepherd is really serving the sheep in a role that the sheep can't even do for themselves. And it says at the end that the shepherd's willing to give up his life for his sheep. And you would think, well, a person is worth more than an animal, but the shepherd doesn't think that. The shepherd's willing to give up his life for them. How many, how many feet has Jeff Bezos washed? I'm making a stupid <laughs> analogy here, right? This is stupid, but it kind of isn't. How, how many cars has Jeff Bezos washed of his employees or, or brought them a meal or, or called them if they were sick? Now, maybe he does. I don't know. He's probably a great guy. This will go online and I'll probably get a letter. Um, <laughs> he's probably a great guy. But I can tell you, if I was in charge of an organization like that and, and my sole purpose was to you know, make, the, make the company money, I wouldn't even have time to do that kind of thing, um, even though it's probably the way you should do it. Here, the model is totally... If you're my sheep, I serve you. This is great. This is totally different than A, human nature, or B, the religious institution of the time. Who were the, and this is, this is the temple, okay? Here's, here's basically the temple on Mount Zion, the temple, temple grounds and courtyards. Who, who was in charge of the religious, of the Jewish nation at the time? Religiously, the high priest. The high priest, and he was part of a organization called what? Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin, seventy plus one, the high priest Jews, who were rulers of the the people, the religious rulers of the people. How many times do you think Caiaphas got down and <coughs> served a meal to a hungry leper? I'm gonna guess it's a big fat zero. <laughs> now, after reading what I read about Caiaphas. In, in the New Testament, probably one of the most wicked men to ever walk the earth. I'm guessing, and I don't know this, he probably never got down and served a leper. He probably never took food to a hungry poor person. What was he concerned with? What are you doing for me? Yes, he's this guy. What do I get out of it? <clears throat> what do I get out of it? How easy is it for us to fall into that? Now, again, <clears throat> let's say you've been put into a position of authority or, or power or maybe some money. <clears throat> How easy is it to go down this path and start to say, well, now that I've got some of this, I want to protect what I have and not lose it. It's human nature, guys. But again, coming back to Jesus, Jesus is saying what? Serve those under you and be willing to give up. Here's the servant right protect here, the servant them. leader. Protect them. They're not just replaceable. Like, he cares about each and every one of them. Yes. And so if they're hurting, he wants to make them better. If they're sick, you know, he's not just going to be like, well, you're sick. I guess I'm just going to 
give you the wolf and get a new one. Yes. <laughs> yes. He'll, he'll leave the 99 <coughs> to find the one. Right. That's it. Where the Sanhedrin, the, the high priest, <coughs> he sat there on his throne and waited for them to come to him. Jesus comes to us. Individual. This is great, guys. This is great. The shepherd, individuals matter. You're not an economic unit. You are not an economic unit to God. Does that sound weird? It's true. Relationships are built on individuals, not on groups. How awesome is it that you have a creator who has a son that would do this for you? How many people have this in their own life? How many people have someone who would literally do stop at nothing and even end their own lives to serve and protect you? The answer is your dad. <laughs> I, I like also how you know Jesus came initially. He's yep. he's ministering to the Jews, right? I mean, yep. but in this passage, he also says, "Hey, there's another flock. They're also going to be part of the deal." There's another flock. Now, whether or not anyone at the time, I doubt that any of them understood what he was what he was referring to. We can we have hindsight and can look yep. back and say, "Oh, hey." These are the Gentiles coming into the fold. Well, they should have. Who, are the, who, who in this room is a Gentile? <laughs> they should have known a lot of things. <laughs> what does a Gentile mean? A non-Jew. Non-Jew, which is pretty much everyone else. Everyone else. You're either Jew or a Gentile. <clears throat> Another flock? Who does this also threaten? Dude, like the literally flock. everything. I mean, yes. 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 Here? Wait a second. Time out. This is our spot. We've barely been living on the grass in this field, and now you're going to bring double the size, and now they're going to eat our grass too. How does this apply to today? Does this apply to today? How? We got Well, I mean, it just reminds me of the church today. Yep. It's very prevalent in the church. Wait, this is The attitude is. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's our territory. This is our God. He doesn't. He's not yours. He's ours. We're territorial about it too. I'm not slamming on other churches. I'm making and I'm making an observation of fact. As soon as I became, I shouldn't even say this. This is this is something that there's a lot of reasons for why this could have happened. <clears throat> How do I say this in a in a productive way? When I when I first became an elder, it became very clear to me that the church is stronger together, not separate. <clears throat> and I am willing to accept that amongst like-minded churches in our area, of which there are a few. It is better for people to find the right church that serves them, that they can serve God and be a part of the Christian community than to not be a part of it. And I wouldn't take it personally if Scott decided, you know what, Um, I'm going to go to the uh, First Church of Christ in Ankeny um, because, you know, I I like their worship, I like their minister, whatever, but but they have the same doctrinal beliefs as us, they are the church, right? And, and he wants to serve there. Awesome. Awesome. How awesome is that that you want to do that? I would rather have Scott do that than say, Pathway sucks. I don't like it. I, want, I, 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 I haven't really found a place anywhere, but I know if I leave, I'll create a lot of enemies. So I'm just not going to go to church. I'm not going to serve God, and I'm not going to develop my relationship. That's the wrong answer, right? So when I first became an elder, the very first thing I wanted to do was get a collection of like-minded pastors in the area together to have a conference to talk about how we can build our, our relationships together. Only one pastor showed up. Now, 
there are many reasons why that could have happened. Scheduling conflicts, maybe uncertainty about exactly what was happening. I know there was a lot going on at that time because there was other activities happening. I'm not bashing on them. I understand there's a lot of reason. But there was no attempt made to make an effort another time. There was no attempt to come and say, well, this, this weekend won't work for me. Maybe we should do that. And so I am saying it is kind of on them. <laughs> Who are they serving? Who are we serving? And I get it. I totally get it that you can be a pastor of a church and say, if people leave, that's a threat to me. I get it. I totally get that. But I have to tell you folks, if it just means they're going from one church to the other, praise the Lord. At least they're going, at least they still have a relationship with Jesus. At least they're trying to find their place. I totally get it. <clears throat> at some level, we have to ask ourselves, are we more concerned with how many people I have on a Sunday so I can compare it with my, my friends? Or do I care about feeding people? How much glory did Jesus get, <laughs> earthly glory, out of his ministry? There were only like glimmers. There's mostly death. <laughs> like, he much. got death. <laughs> he got death. How much glory, earthly glory, did the Apostle Paul get out of his ministry? He's gotten a lot now. Yeah. <clears throat> at the time, what Eventually. I mean is the, earth, the money, the, the making it rain. How much did he get there? <laughs> let's, list, let's list, if we can, the numbers of great things that happened, oh, including shit. shipwrecks, imprisonment, beatings, torture, and execution. Who was Paul in it for, I believe? I think he was in it for the flock. I truly believe he was an example for us of what a godly person, leader, should be. Well, I mean, he even says that in Romans, like that he would, if yeah. he could give up his salvation for the rest of the Jews, that he would do it because he really <clears throat> who says wanted that? the Jews to who know Jesus. He would, he would spend eternity in hell for someone else. That's worse than losing your life, folks. That's like eternity. Look, you can give your life, right? You have one life to, to give. Yeah, but it was, it was easy for him to say because he was caught up into heaven. And, well, at least we think that's what he's talking about. But, <clears throat> you know kind of being facetious yeah. about that. No, but, very good. But, you know, it's a different yep. it's a different mindset. He just had a different mindset than we do. Yeah, and I think really what he was saying is, is he would give everything that he could possibly give to save the rest of uh, the Jews or humanity. You know, it was an ultimate <coughs> sacrifice yeah. example. So Very good. And what I'm saying by that yep. is that he, he understood what he was, yeah. what he had hold of. Right. You know, do right. we? Ooh. Do we have a grip on that? In Romans 11, um, it talks about the grafting. It's so awesome. It's, can I read 11:17? Yeah. Sure. It says, but if some of the branches were broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, Gentiles, mm -hmm. were grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant towards the branches. If you are, remember, it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Then you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief, but you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Now, I'm just saying, you will get gold stars if you offer <laughs> scripture that has not been written on the board. You know, she's, she's the winner's column. <laughs> I, and when, I, when we did this in Romans a few months ago, I remember drawing the whole plant and talking about botany and how great it is, and all of you were like, well, you just shut up and move on. Uh, yeah, cool. see, thank you. <laughs> I would have loved that lesson, Brian. I'll, I'll send you the link. Have you seen the shrubs to the north of the shrubs? So I love you. I really do. Very good. 
But what is it saying? What is that? What is that whole passage saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah, don't don't get cocky because <coughs> you were you were shown grace, even though you were not my chosen people. I brought you into the fold. But if you're going to exhibit the same faithlessness that my chosen people yep. did, you will all, you know, you're not going to be spared either. So here's the, the roots, and it's the Star of David. I don't know how else to draw a Jewish plant. <laughs> <laughs> we, got, we got these other measly plants, right? They're not growing so well, right? Who are the measly plants? Us. We are not Jews. We have not been guaranteed salvation up till this point. God is saying, guess what I did for you? Some of these were not producing any fruit. Some were. So here some of them produce fruit. What is fruit in a religious Christian sense? Fruit of the Spirit. It's what you're doing. Yeah. Faith in action. It's your faith in action. This is, you're all right. It's your faith in action. You truly believe that God is who he says he is, and you're doing something about it. And through the fruit, fruit is a means of reproduction for a plant and tends to produce what? More, more, more fruit through more plants. Some of these are measly and not flowering and not fruiting. What did God do to them? Who was he cutting off here? Self-righteous. Self-righteous who? Of what group? Jews. Jews. Ouch. Those who thought that they could earn their way. A lot of these people. A lot of these people. And then he grafts in what? These these folks. So now we have, you know, I don't know how else to you know, draw it, but now they're producing fruit. So now we have Gentiles grafted in who are producing fruit. But the message is... Mm-hmm. Don't get cocky. Get cocky. Because well, a branch <laughs> can't grow itself. It needs to have the root. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. You produced fruit and it was great, but guess what? You had help to do that. It wasn't on your own. This wasn't all about you. <laughs> it took nourishing, the ugliest root ball I've ever grown. It uh, <laughs> nourishing power of the root. If God cut off His people yeah. of the original plant in order to graft in Gentiles, how long is He going to endure a Gentile to not produce fruit? I wish this was the recording, and then I could just repeat that and copy mm-hmm. and paste because that was perfect. That was perfect. Let's go on. I don't want to. I like verse 18, and so I say a line. Yeah. No, Gibson correctly included that in the Passion of the Christ, where Jesus said, I lay my life down, no one can take it from me. What does that mean? That, that's the sacrifice. That yeah. means it wasn't the Jews who killed Jesus. It yes. wasn't the Romans who killed Jesus. Right. Jesus laid his life down in the sacrifice. And, they couldn't have done that without his okay. This has two parts. This message has two parts. The first is absolutely, absolutely what Steve is saying. Jesus chose to give his life. It wasn't an accident. He didn't stop in front of an ox cart and get run over, right? A meteor didn't accidentally fall on his head. He chose to give his life through it. the ultimate sacrifice. Uh, if you go on YouTube and you ask, you know, they do the, what is the ultimate sacrifice? And some people say giving up carbs for a week. No, that's not the ultimate sacrifice, folks. What is the ultimate sacrifice? Your life. Your life given in exchange for something else. That's the first part. The second part is the basis of our entire religion. The basis of Christianity. I lay it down of my own accord. What is the second part there? I take it up again. I have the authority to take it up again. What the heck does that mean? What does that mean? 
coming back. I'll be back. <laughs> but not just, so what is that? So it means what? More plainly. The he's going to return. He's gonna Resurrection. Yeah. He will come back to life, but this is key. Was he brought back to life by another? Was he brought back to life through medicine or science or an accident? A Marvel movie? <laughs> Radiation? No. Who could bring back Jesus' life? His father. His father and through his father. Himself. Him. Jesus had the power to raise himself from the dead. Now, I don't know how many religious prophets you know. Any man who can not only give his life up, but bring himself back to life again, is a son of God. I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't know what else to tell you. He is who he says he is. A man who can do all of that is who he says he is. I love that part. And he's demon-possessed. And then what does he say? Verse 21. The others said, what? These are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? There were rational people in this group who were saying... Look, we have seen the evidence. The Gospels are full of the evidence of miracles. And one of the reasons why Jesus did miracles, and, and again, not to belabor the point, yes, he loved people and he wanted them to not suffer. But he was making a point. He could have snapped his fingers and everyone on earth could have stopped suffering at that moment, but he didn't. He did specific acts of miracles for a reason, to prove his authority. And it says it right here. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Only God can open the eyes of the blind. The Jews would have immediately recognized that only God himself has the power to heal people like that. Okay. Here we go. Unbelief of the Jews. Verses 22 to 42. Who would like to read that for me? It was now winter and Jesus was in Jerusalem at the time of Hanukkah, the festival of dedication. He was in the temple walking through the section known as Solomon's Colonnade. The people surrounded him and asked, How long are you going to keep us in suspense? If you're the Messiah, if you're the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus replied, I've already told you, and you don't believe me. The proof is in the work I do in my Father's name, but you don't believe me because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one can snatch them away from me, for my Father has given them to me, and he is more powerful than anyone else. No one can snatch them from the Father's hand. The Father and I are one. Once again, the people picked up stones to kill him, and Jesus said, At my Father's direction, I have done many good works. For which one are you going to stone me? They replied, We're stoning you not for any good work, but for blasphemy. You, a mere man, claim to be God. Jesus replied, It's written in your own scriptures that God said to certain leaders of the people, I say you are God's. And you know that the scriptures cannot be altered. So if those people who received God's message were called gods, why do you call it blasphemy when I say I am the Son of God? After all, the Father set me apart and sent me into the world. Don't believe me unless I carry out my Father's work. But if I do his work, believe in the evidence of the miraculous works I have done, even if you don't believe me. Then you will know and understand that the Father is in me, and I am in the Father." Once again, they tried to arrest him, but he got away and left them. He went beyond the Jordan River near the place where John was first baptizing and stayed there a while. And many followed him. John didn't perform miraculous signs, they remarked to one another. Um, but everyone, <clears throat> excuse me, but everything he said about this man has come true. 
and many who were there believed in Jesus. Excellent, thank you. There's a whole bunch of good stuff in here. The Feast of Dedication. I'm glad that your translation says that's Hanukkah. It's going to be a trick question. Yeah. What is that? Um, <clears throat> what is the Feast of Dedication? It's important to know this. Who knows what Hanukkah celebrates? Is it when like the candles stayed lit for eight days? Yes, the candles stayed lit. The menorah stayed lit for eight days. They only had enough oil for one night. They only had enough oil for one night. A miraculous event that happened around the year 160 <coughs> BC. Do, why, why was there only enough oil for one night? There was the Maccabean Rebellion. The Maccabean Revolt. Let's write this up here. Look, maybe you care, maybe you don't. <laughs> that's, be a, that's what I was going to say. Yeah, that was on the tip of my tongue. Yeah. <laughs> Chronicled in the Apocrypha, 1st Maccabees. The Maccabean Revolt was around the year 167 BC. Judea, the, the, the land of Israel and Palestine today, was ruled by, essentially, leaders who were very Greek in their culture, Hellenistic rulers. This was a result of Alexander the Great's empire that he made very quickly. He died young, and then his empire was broken into many pieces. One of those pieces was ruled by a, you know, a variety of very wicked people um, called the Seleucids. Antiochus Epiphanes. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Antiochus Epiphanes. I, I did not know that, by the way. It's oh, it's in the thing there. You're reading that. Thank you. <laughs> you should just put it in like, well, I know that. Well, now you know it. Antiochus Epiphanes. One of the most wicked rulers of all time. He, and again, what, what is going on in, in Judea during this time? The pious, God-fearing, Orthodox Jews were being assaulted in their culture by the Hellenistic Greek leaders of the time who were converting, in a way... The, the Jews of the era to Greeks. And Greeks doesn't mean your race, it means your culture. So there were sports of young boys playing in the nude. There were um, the consumption of pigs for, for feasts. There was the worshiping of Greek gods. All of this became too much. And at one point, the Jews decided they had had enough, especially when Antiochus Epiphanes came into the temple at the time, it wasn't Herod's temple, it was a, it was a bit smaller. <clears throat> he came in and he decided he was so upset at the Jews for tr trying to keep Greek culture out that he was gonna sacrifice a pig on the altar of Yahweh and install a idol of himself or Zeus, it's not entirely clear here, in the temple, in the Holy of Holies. People, I don't know about you, but in reading history of the Jews and their religious fervor, that is the last thing I would have done to expect peace. And what happened? It was all-out war. It was all-out guerrilla warfare for seven years. From 167 to 160, the Jews, led first by Matthias, I think it is, Maccabeus, and then by his son Judas Maccabeus, waged a successful guerrilla war against the Seleucid leaders of Judea finally culminating in a win, in which the armies of the Seleucids were defeated. Antiochus dies in Syria, I believe, around 160, and the armies retreat. They have a full and complete win against the empire. They also made a, a peace treaty with Rome, who was becoming big at the time. Long story short is, what happens is they finally freed the temple 
from the rule of these evil rulers. Well, it was time to light the menorah because the menorah or candle, um, you know, uh, candle stand always remains lit for certain periods of time. But they only had enough holy kosher oil for one day, but it took eight days to get new oil that was kosher and was essentially religiously pure. So Hanukkah celebrates the miraculous. Menorah has eight, tends to have eight. One, two, three, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight candles with one in the middle for lighting them all. <coughs> it stayed lit for eight days. This was a minor religious, cultural, really cultural holiday for, for many years until Christmas became a major Christian holiday <coughs> and then now it has become a major Jewish holiday. Long story short, that is why we celebrate or they celebrate Hanukkah. If the author here gives you a clue as to when all of this was happening, then came the Feast of Dedication. When does the Feast of Dedication happen? It was winter. <laughs> Midwinter, December, right around the time of Christmas, right? If it is winter in Judea, what are the conditions like? Cold. Cold, rainy. If you've ever been <clears throat> to California, um, Israel has a very California-like climate, a Mediterranean climate. <clears throat> it's cold and windy and rainy and crappy in, in winter. So then why... Do they make a point that Jesus was in the temple area walking in Solomon's colonnade? Now, usually, people would meander about here in the court of the Gentiles, uh, out in the open. Yeah, this is a clue. This is a historical clue. It was cold and rainy and windy. They were in here covered under the porch so that they could have some shelter. And so all these people are being clustered, very COVID-19 uh, bad, <laughs> right? All clustered together. To hear Jesus talking, what... <laughs> what do you think, again, how do you think the religious leaders of the time were reacting? If Jesus is in here and this is full of people, how do you think they're reacting to that? They're mad. They're surly. <laughs> they're surly. They're hangry. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. They're not happy. He's telling them all of this, and he has given it to them, guys. I told you about this. Last couple of weeks, we've made a point about Jesus' confrontational style. He is sticking it to them sticking it to him. But he's trying to make a point here. It's funny. I like how they're, he's like, they're asking, if you're the Christ, just tell us because, mm -hmm. you're, you know, we, we don't know yet. And then he tells them, like, you already know, mm -hmm. and you know, then they're like, okay, now we're going to stone you. It's like, <laughs> you just asked me, I'm telling you, and now you're just going to stone me. But no, I think it, it goes back to, they thought the Messiah was going to be a military ruler. They didn't actually think he would be God himself. But, you know. Why not? <laughs> Isaiah 9, 6. For to us a child is born, mm -hmm. to us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulder. And his mm -hmm. name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Did the rulers of the time know that passage? You better believe sure. it. Yeah, they didn't like Isaiah, though. Ah. <laughs> yeah. They discounted ah. Isaiah's prophecy. Who discounts Isaiah? Oh, period. This is a great one. You're going to get a gold star for this. <laughs> Who of the ruling class does not even believe Isaiah is the authority well, Sadducees. of the word of God? Thank you, sir. Because yeah, they yeah. believe in the Torah. Sadducees are a small but vocal minority of religious leaders of the time. They're the ones who kiss up to the Romans and thus have been awarded the high priest role. Sadducees reject all of the writings of the Old Testament except for the Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible. To Steve's point, they would have said, 
forget Isaiah. I don't care about Isaiah. It's not real. But some of them, but the Pharisees would have accepted it. Well, and some of the Pharisees did, you know, but they were afraid of losing, you know, because like, I forget what his name is, but yes, yeah, some Nicodemus. of the Pharisees would come to no. him in the night and they would, you know, no. some of them did believe, but yeah, what was his name? Nicodemus. Yes. Yeah. And <laughs> like, we believe Joseph of Arimathea as well. Yeah. They were, they were hopeful yeah. for the Messiah. I mean, it, on some level, that was, they, they were holding out hope that he was really coming. So that's yep. the part that kind of gets me. Yep. Like, if I'm so hopeful that this guy's coming, and then here he is, the guy that's claiming he is, but I'm right. But no, how much does that say about my pride, my ego? Yes, you know, this is it. I want to save face. I don't want to be proved wrong. These are these are people, folks, who do not take well to being proved wrong. They often don't ever consider themselves to be wrong. Now they got this guy. He's basically saying everything that they they do is wrong. I've created a. This is who he's gonna be. Uh, that's it's it. Not really him. That's I can't it. be. Can't created be. the image of no. That's not my God. That's not yep. my Messiah. Mm-hmm. My Messiah would do this, this, and this. Yep. Where yeah. the true Messiah is gonna do what God has foretold he's gonna do. Okay. Even if you know it, <clears throat> if he doesn't fit in your box, you're not gonna accept. We all make a box. Well, they all have this history of. Every prophet that comes, like I was, I'm reading yeah, Jeremiah. Jeremiah tells them, you know, Nebuchadnezzar's coming. You know, you're going to be eating your own children. Like, there's going to be no food. Mm-hmm. Like, he tells them, and they're like, we don't like this. So they throw him in jail. And all this stuff is still happening, mm-hmm. just as he said it, it was going to happen. But then they're still listening to these fake prophets who are saying, oh, no, no, no. Nebuchadnezzar's going to yes. leave, and the temple's going to return to its glory, and all this stuff. And... They're, they want to listen to the good prophecy over what yes. is in reality really happening. Oh, that's weird. They pick and choose what they want to believe. That's, so that happens. That, they, they were so backward back then. They didn't do that. <laughs> thieves and robbers. Jesus makes the comment, there, there have been thieves and robbers before me. Who is he talking about? You're just kind of saying it. False prophets. False prophets. Folks, false messiahs were just as common in the first century as they are today. People who come forth and say, I'm the, the chosen one, and I'm going to save all of you, and if you just you know, join my commune or give me all of your money, and we'll all drink the Kool-Aid and go join the <laughs> comet you know, later, this is nothing new. And he's making the point, look, I get it. People have come before me claiming some things that are very crazy and out there. But he's like, how can you distinguish me from those people? And he made it very clear here. What distinguishes Jesus from those other prophets? The works. Yes. I'm sorry, but if you can raise up a person from the dead, which we will, in chapter 11, we will talk about Lazarus. I'm sorry, but if you can raise a man from the dead after four days of death, you are who you say you are. (laughs) Case closed, right? And I'm going to make a point. I don't usually pick on other religions. I'm already burning people. I might as well do this. Jehovah's Witnesses, bless their hearts, have a few key distinct differences between what we would believe as, as doctrine and what they believe. One of those is they do not believe that Jesus is the, the, the co-equal Son of God, essentially the Trinity. They do reject the Trinity and they reject the fact that Jesus is the anointed co-equal Son of God. Right here, Jesus says, I and the Father are one. Now right there, <laughs> I don't know how else you could interpret that. That is the Greek. In their, um, their translation of the Bible that the Watchtower puts out, it has this phrase. Again, 
the Jews picked up stones to stone him. Okay, and then it says... Well, the Jews yeah, realize that he's saying that he's God. Yeah. That's why they want to kill him. So even they recognize yeah. that he's saying, I am God. The Father has given to me is all one. No one can snatch them out of my hand. For which you want to stone me. Basically, um, we are not stoning you for any of these, we're, but for blasphemy, because you are a mere man claiming to be... Now, in their translation, they will say, <coughs> a God. Which is not the right translation of the Greek. I'll just tell you right now. It is. He is claiming to be God. Now, I will ask you this question. If Jesus was not claiming to be God, he was just claiming to be a God, like Zeus or Aphrodite, why would the Jews pick up stones to kill him? Why would they even care? They wouldn't give a rip. They'd be like, you're crazy. Okay, Zeus. Why would they pick up stones to stone him? Because they know he's claiming to be the one and only God. He is claiming to be God. Folks, that is biblical. And he's challenging the power structure. Yeah. That's, That's it. what scares them. Sometimes in looking at other religions, it can help you to compare them to understand more about yours. So go ahead. I mean, just going back to the beginning of John. Yep. <clears throat> John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was in the beginning yeah. with God. And then later on, when you go down to um, 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, yep. um, something about the exact representation of his nature. I mean, not just, I'm a mere representative of yep. God, but I'm God in the flesh. It's pretty clear, folks. The New Testament is pretty clear. Verse 28, real quick, we'll wrap up here. What is one of the benefits of being a disciple of Jesus? Verse 28. Eternal life. I give them eternal life. They shall never what? Perish. Perish, die, decay. And what is that second part? This is important. No one can steal them from my What does that mean? Perseverance of saints. I love you. <laughs> Cheers, brother. Cheers. <laughs> This is not controversial, folks. Your salvation is guaranteed. Once you are truly saved, no one can snatch you out of Jesus' hand. That is biblical. That is the truth. But you have to be really saved. That's, you have to truly be saved. Okay. That means when you die and your body comes back to life, which all humans will come back to life through a universal resurrection, that is biblical, you will go before God, the judge, with Jesus standing there, and they will judge you. You are either, your name is written in the book of life or it isn't. You either have salvation or you don't. For those who don't have salvation, what happens to you? Thrown in the lake of fire. You're thrown in the lake of fire for eternal punishment. Not a second winking out. What is the salvation part? For those who are saved, what is your, what is your destiny? Glory. Eternally in the presence of God. Eternally in the presence of God, and that is forever, folks. That is a promise. It will, it will never end. It will never end. And once you are in paradise, some call heaven, some call a new earth, once you are in that salvation, that, that eternal paradise, it's that forever, folks. I'd say that's a pretty good benefit of being a follower of Jesus. Now, if you feel that, uh, see... <laughs> See, it's, it's, you're making it rain, but it's a whole different rain, right? That's eternal life. Um, 
I think that's pretty good. And, and, and our math teacher, who was a Christian in high school, Cindy and I both had the same guy, Hugh Elrod, I'll, I'll throw a shout out to him, <clears throat> really great guy, would make the comment, and, and there had been, I think there had been a death in the, or something associated with the school, and he, made, he just kind of came out and said this. He goes, you can choose to believe in, in, basically he was saying Jesus, or you can choose not to. What is, what is the risk-benefit reward? Well, if you choose to believe in Jesus and it's all fake, you have lost nothing. You've probably lived a pretty good life. Uh, you've kept yourself out of trouble. You know, so what? So, so, so you were wrong. But if you choose not to believe in Jesus and it was true, the risk cost is you have lost. You have far more damage than not having trusted in Jesus to be good. You have nothing to lose and everything to gain. Verse 28. I say that's pretty good, folks. I think that's pretty good. Yes, sir. Pascal's wager doesn't work, though, because you could be choosing the wrong option. Mm-hmm. And that any of the other religions could be right. They could be. So then, that is world religions, which will be an hour from now, uh, <laughs> that we will talk about that. <laughs> and you have the choice. And isn't it great that God has given us a choice? That you are not a robot. That you are not a robot. I found it interesting <clears throat> at the end here where this says that he went away across the Jordan and many came to him but the ones that were standing there ready to stone him didn't ch- it doesn't make mention of them chasing him down so they knew i mean people knew where he was it wasn't like he went and hid from them because mm-hmm. people knew what was going on. i just found that interesting yep. that why didn't they didn't they not want to go get convinced mm-hmm. you know? they knew in their heart they knew all right thank you all for joining us we'll see you next week